today is a good day. Um, in all of that, that means that there's kind of a mixed blessing in preaching this morning. Um, for one, I get to preach on the day that the Seahawks win their first Super Bowl. But the second part of that is that I have to preach on the day that the Seahawks win their first Super Bowl. So I didn't get to really pay attention to the media frenzy and all of the fun this week. Uh, today is an important day for another reason as well. Uh, we take a shift today. Uh, since the beginning of Advent, we have been studying Isaiah. We've been following along in the lectionary that the Methodist Church puts out. And throughout this teaching, Michael has been teaching us to look at the big picture, at the picture that we see at the end so that when we look at today's circumstances and the situations that we face today, that we can look at those things in the light of what we know will come to be. What we are shifting to is a series that discusses our mission and our values and our vision here at the family of churches underneath Alamo Heights United Methodist. What we want to do is talk about what this big picture really is. What is it in this big picture that makes us look at the things that are going on around us and let us see them in a different way. So today we talk about the kingdom of heaven. The verse this morning is from Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into the Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. These are the very words of God. Now the ancient sages knew that the kingdom of heaven was something that was very difficult to really define. We have Jesus even, when he talks about it, using a lot of metaphorical language and telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like rather than what the kingdom of heaven is. For example, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Or what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour till it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here we have God incarnate walking the face of the earth, and he chooses not to tell us what exactly the kingdom of heaven is. Instead, he tells us what it is like. The ancient sages really wanted to come up with something that they could do, some kind of way to think about the kingdom of heaven so that they would know that they're all on the same page when they discuss it. So they came up with this sort of conceptual framework. The way they came up with this was that they looked at the scripture, and of course they looked at their most defining story. The Exodus. In the Exodus, we find a pattern that we find throughout the rest of the scripture. And this pattern really informs us and informs the way that we can talk about the kingdom of heaven. The first part of this pattern is that God comes in power. God sent the ten plagues on the Egyptians. He ravaged harvests. He ravaged livestock. And eventually, he even ravaged the firstborn sons of an entire nation. God brings the people out of Egypt after this and brings them to the Sea of Reeds. And as they are sitting there, backs against the sea, the Egyptians are coming down on them. But God parts these waters and leads the people through on dry land, lets the waters collapse back in on the Egyptians. God had pointed this, uh, appointed this man to lead the people through this 
succession of events. But the real point of the story is that God heard the people's cry. God shows up and God does the work. God acts in power and he acts to bring freedom and redemption to the people that he calls his own. The second part of this framework is that we then, after God acts in power, acclaim him. On the opposite shore of the Sea of Reeds, Miriam, Moses' sister, ends up doing something that's a little unexpected after she's been through the circumstances she's been through. She's seen all of these plagues, and on the final night in her home, she has to sacrifice and kill a goat, cook it. She has to take the blood of this goat and paint it on the doorframe of her house. She has to sit and wait. And as she's sitting there waiting, she's probably hearing screams as people realize that their children are dying. She finally leaves. She gets back to the, she gets to the Red Sea. She gets across that. And instead of taking a break, instead of sitting down or anything like that, she pulls out a tambourine. In all of that chaos that Miriam had just faced and the people around her had just faced, she packed a tambourine. She knew that there would be a moment that this tambourine was important, that there would be a moment coming, that God would deliver them and there would be a moment to celebrate. The third part of this framework is that we then go and do what God says. After the Sea of Reeds, the people go on to Mount Sinai, and it's here that God gives the people Torah. In what looks like a Jewish ceremony, God literally weds the people to himself. They become the bride of God. This Torah takes the place of the marriage covenant, or the Ketubah. And it's this Torah that ends up teaching these people and enabling them to walk with God and to be a people, to be a nation that blesses other nations. So again, this kingdom of heaven can be described in this kind of threefold pattern. That God first comes in power. That we then acclaim God and then we go and we do what God says. The kingdom is something that we can plainly see um, breaking out in the past. We see it in the story of the Exodus. We saw it in the story of Elijah, the story of the exile and the return. And for us, we see it come in its fullness, this kingdom, with Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection. In our scripture, the, uh, the words that Jesus uses is that the kingdom has come near. In other translations, it says that the kingdom is at hand. But the implication in the Greek is not that the kingdom is almost here, that it's on its way, that it's not quite here yet, but will be there. The implication is that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is accessible to everybody. The kingdom is something that we see acting in the past. We see God acting in the past. The kingdom is something that we see acting now. And the kingdom is something that we continue to hope for in the future. So after we are able to kind of get a better idea of what the kingdom of heaven is and what it's like, the question then shifts to how do I become a part of this kingdom? How do I join into this mission? In the narrative of our scripture today, John's arrested. The man responsible for the arrest is Herod Antipas. He's son of Herod the Great and Herod the Great Orphan. Jesus' response to this arrest is that he immediately gets up and goes into the Galilee and begins to preach the kingdom of heaven. There's an immediacy in this verse that suggests that there's something very important in what's happening. He doesn't just begin to preach here. He lifts up his his entire life. He grew up in Nazareth. He replants himself on the Sea of the Galilee. The question is, why would he do that? What, What is the significance of this move? 
The city that John was likely held in after he was arrested is called Tiberias. Tiberias is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. From where Jesus ends up planting himself in Capernaum, you can look directly across the sea and look directly at Tiberias. He can look directly at Herod and he can proclaim this kingdom. He can say that this world does not change through the violence and through the manipulation and the coercion that you use. But this world will change in this thing called love and this thing called the kingdom of heaven. This moment of John's arrest ends up becoming a huge significant turning point for him and in his life and in his ministry. As Jesus continues to travel through the Galilee, we have another significant story that happens in the verses immediately following ours. Peter and Andrew and James and John are doing what they do every day. They're fishing with their fathers. As they're fishing, they see along the coastline a rabbi. This rabbi sees them and calls out to them, Lech Achorai, follow me. For the disciples, the turning point didn't come in something big and new and exciting. The turning point came in the mundane. It came in their everyday life. It came in the things that they do over and over and over and over. The first few years of my Christian life were like a roller coaster. I had huge, significant turning points, one after the other, sometimes on top of each other. None of these turning points for me ended up being something like John the Baptist being arrested, but they were huge for me. Some of them were amazing opportunities and amazing blessings, opportunities to travel to Israel, to learn, to go on mission trips. But a lot of them were also very bad. A lot of them were very, um, they triggered things that I had been battling for decades, things like depression. Today, I still have significant turning points that I face, but I feel like today I'm more like the disciples. I'm learning more and more that as I live life and as I do the things that I do over and over and over, that those are the moments that I need to learn what it is to turn and to follow God. I read through a blog this week from a pastor in Uvalde. In talking about conversion and walking with God and following him, he says, the point, however, isn't how it happened, but that it did happen and it continues to happen. It's never a once and for all, finally and forever kind of thing. Our entire life is a conversion. We are always being converted, shaped and formed into the likeness of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus comes to us saying, follow me. So for us, the big moments come. And we have small moments that come. What I'm beginning to realize is that each of these moments, whether it's big or small and whether it's good or bad, each of these moments is a, an opportunity for me to learn more and more what it is to turn back to Christ. Jesus does give us an answer in this verse of what it is to join into the kingdom of heaven. He says, repent and believe in the good news. This word repent is seemingly a very simple word. But anybody that has ever taken it very seriously realizes that this word is full of challenges. In the Greek, the repent, to repent is metanoia. Metanoia means to change the mind, but again, the implication is more than just the mind. It is a holistic look at who you are. This is your mind, this is your body, this is your soul. This is everything that makes you the person that you are. In the Hebrew, the word is shuv. Shuv means to turn, and it means to t- return. 
So the concept of repentance is much bigger than when we talk about turning away from sin. Repentance is turning towards something else. Repentance is to be able to take a deliberate look at your life and where you're at now and to be able to return to the one that made you, to change your mind, to change your behaviors, your actions, and your thoughts. Jesus invites us into this kingdom directly by asking us to follow him. Following is to turn to him in celebration and in repentance. Had we continued in a Methodist lectionary today, we would have shifted into a verse in Micah. And the verse is remarkably fitting with today's theme still. In Micah 6, we find, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? In this family of churches that we call home here at Alamo Heights and the many satellites that we have, New Heights, Riverside, Common Worship, Pioneer, we believe that there is this thing called the kingdom of heaven. We believe that this kingdom of heaven is what's going to bring restoration and redemption resolution to all of creation. We try to define this kingdom of heaven, but we've often found that instead of us trying to define it, it's more that kingdom that defines us and defines everything that we do here. We see that this kingdom happened, but we also see that this kingdom happens today, and we see that the kingdom will continue to happen. What we do is we choose to celebrate this kingdom. We choose to celebrate the goodness and the power that God acts with. And we finally seek to answer that call. That when Jesus turns to us and says, follow me, we seek to take that step. As Dinah leads our congregation today in the celebration of God's power and communion, please take this blessing as an opportunity to take a step and to take a turn back to God. Whether your life is a place where you have a million different opportunities and you're excited or if your life is in a place that you are suffering from devastation, or if your life is in a place where you're just walking through it and you're doing the same things every day and life is okay, each one of those is an opportunity to return to the one that created you. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we bless you. We thank you, Father, for the person that you are for the being that you are, for the kindness, for the goodness, and for the power that you show on our behalf. We thank you, Father, for who you have made us to be, for inviting us into your kingdom, for helping us to understand what that kingdom is. We ask you, Father, to continually help us to see what turning is, to continually help us to see what life with you is, what life in this kingdom is. We ask you to show us what the tangible parts of this kingdom are and where we can step into them with you. We bless you, Father. We thank you for all that you do. We praise you, and we want to do what you say. In your name, in the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.